It is the Dynasty Podcast Rocket Live Panelcast Series, recorded live at Rocket Bar and Grill in Chicago. My name is Haima Black. I host this series every month at Rocket Bar and Grill, with a podcast of the panel posting online at chicagoverseunited.com. This month, the What Happened in Chicago's Rock Scene Rocket Live Panelcast, featuring former Local 101 on Q101 host Chris Payne, Greg Corner of Kilhanna, Christian Picciolini of Gold Mill Entertainment, and Alex Fruchter from Ruby Hornet. Here's how that panel sounded. Thank you everyone for coming out. This is the Dynasty Podcast's second live Panelcast event. Uh, we're calling it Rocket Live. That's the name of this series. Um, thanks to Rocket Bar and Grill, of course, for hosting us. Uh, my name is Haima Black. I'm the host of the Dynasty Podcast Network, which you can find online at chicagoverseunited.com. And tonight, we've got a very, very cool panel I'm excited about. Yeah, the topic is what happened to Chicago's rock scene? And that is a question that doesn't have one straightforward answer. There's a lot of different thoughts on that question. So thankfully, I've got a great panel here of professionals that are going to help me answer that question and weigh in with their thoughts. In uh, fact, that question made a lot of people pretty angry, didn't it? It did, man. There's a lot of responses and a lot of different reactions to the question, which to me indicated that we're asking the right question. Um, so going down the line, we have Greg Corner, uh, of course, basis for Kilhanna and also one-third of Dark Wave Disco. Yes. Chicago rock scene. Love Kilhanna, buddy. Love Kilhanna. Uh, we have Alex Fruchter uh, from Ruby Hornet. I hope I'm doing it right. Uh, who also teaches the amp hip-hop class at Columbia. We have Chicago rock radio veteran Chris Payne, of course, longtime host of Local 101 on Q101, also worked at Rock 1035 in Chicago, for anybody who is old school and remembers that. I saw a couple people. Uh, Anyone so. who's older than 30. <laughs> and then Christian Picciolini, uh, Long he time pronounced general. it correctly. It's one in a million. Amazing. I had to ask everyone before the panel. <laughs> um, Christian was a general manager for JBTV for a number of years, and he is also the CEO of Gold Mill Entertainment, done artist management with groups like The Frantic, and now just began at Threadless. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you guys all so much for joining. Before we get into some of the questions, do you guys want to kind of, I know I just did a little bit of an intro, but maybe go down and give some information about who you are, your background in the music scene, kind of what you do, and you know, expand on that, and kind of your role, and, and why you're qualified to be here, because all of you are. All right, well, I guess I'll go first on the line. Um, let's see, I've been uh, playing in local bands, really, since 1992. I got into Kill Hannah in 1997, and, um, you know, we played a lot of local shows before we started touring in 2002. Um, you know, really globally all over the world now. Uh, and I'm also um, a promoter and DJ, and I, you know, had an event called Darkway Disco for about five years. And um, so I know what it's like to be on the promoter and the booker side of things um, and on the artist side. Um, so I handle a lot of the business for Kill Hannah and not so much the bookings, we have a booking agent for that, but. Um, you know, I, I have my hands in a lot of things with the band and with DJing and promoting shows and definitely supporting the local Chicago music scene. So, yeah, I run a, a hip-hop website and I'm a hip-hop DJ and have a hip-hop uh, record label. So I guess I'm like the token hip-hop guy here. That's what <laughs> I've been told. I do like rock music, but uh, I'm here for some balance. Yeah, I don't know if token was a good choice of words, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Chris Payne. I've hosted, uh, Jesus, I guess I've hosted radio shows here in Chicago for more than 17 years, at least the past 13 probably. Some of you may be familiar with the Q101. Haima Black was my producer for those 13 years and uh, recently retired when Q101 switched formats and became an all-talk station. But um, for the 13 years I was with Q101, uh, for the years I was with Rock 103.5 and for the years I worked in radio in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I always hosted a local music show in some capacity and have played Greg's band from the very, very <laughs> early days. I mean, we go back how far? I mean, you know, Greg, uh, what's your last name? 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we go, thank you for laughing at my joke. I'm going to buy that person a drink. He's Anyone a lawyer. Else you can afford laugh? that now. Um, <laughs> no, I, I go back with these guys uh, many, many years. But I guess that's what qualifies me to be on the panel, maybe. Absolutely, okay. yeah. I know this yeah. guy, too, and I've played many of the bands he's managed over the years, too. Thank you, Chris. I'm sitting next to the most important guy in local music right here next to me. <laughs> and uh, I still can't pronounce his last name, I swear to God. That's Pucha okay. I just have one name. I'm like Madonna and Cher. It's just Christian. It's just, they I named a religion you. after I me. I love you. cool. <laughs> uh, my name is Christian Picciolini. I, uh, just up until last week, was the general manager and uh, executive producer for JBTV, uh, which is uh, Chicago's longest-running music TV show and uh, the country's second-longest-running next to the other one that has been around a little bit longer, but doesn't play music anymore. Uh, so by default, makes us the longest running. Um, I manage artists like The Frantic and Flatfoot 56, uh, and I manage bands like Treaty of Paris and uh, State Madison and some awesome people who are in the room, so check them out. Um, and uh, I'm producing a new TV show that is a music and food TV show called The Tastemakers with the guys from Man McHugh, who are also here tonight, so check them out. Yeah, Man McHugh, there he is. I am yeah. absolutely not qualified to be here, but thank you for inviting me. <laughs> oh, you are, you are, you are. Um, the topic of this panel, what happened in the Chicago rock scene, almost as soon as I posted that online, put up the Facebook event, started promoting it on Twitter, I got so many wide range of responses. I had people texting me being like, this is a great topic that needs to be talking, talked about. And then I kind of got everything short of death threats from people who thought, how dare you even ask that? What qualifies you? So this is a question that... I think has uh, provoked a strong response kind of across the spectrum from a lot of people. You know, and I guess let's go down. Do you guys think that there has been a shift in the rock scene in Chicago? Do you think it's maybe been on the decrease or, or do you kind of fall on the other side of the fence? One of the things that I've noticed is really, you know, when we talk about a rock scene, there's like so many different definitions of that. Are we talking about artists? Are we talking about, you know, venues and kind of the, the, the way that people interact with the artists? I really, when I think of a scene, I really think of the community that's built with the fans. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about rock music. It doesn't matter if you're talking about hip hop. And one of the things that actually drew me to Threadless as a company where, you know, I'm working with the community right now is the fact that it's so important to really take the sense of community and build that up. And it includes the artists, and I think the artists are very important. So to answer your question, like, has there been a shift? Yeah, you know, I think that there's always a shift, and I think that it's important for the bands and the fans to really come back to kind of that sense of community that maybe exists. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It goes through cycles. I mean, I, uh, I myself think, um, you know, it's not just a Chicago thing. I think it's a, it's a national thing. And being in a band and touring into a bunch of cities, you know, starting in 2002 and, you know, to my last U.S. tour, I believe it was in 2010, there was a huge difference of attendance, not just my shows, but, um, you know, friends' bands, you know, talking to venue owners and stuff like that. There's definitely a decrease in live music. I think in Chicago, um, there's a multiple um, things that, that kind of happen, I think, you know, back in the 90s, there wasn't as many venues to play. And um, now there's more venues than ever, which is, I think, better and worse for some things. I think it's, you know, there's so much information now with, with everything being online now um, that it, a lot of things have been spread thin, I believe. But I still think there is a community here. And just like Christian said, there's, there's a bunch of... Um, you know, there, there, there's always been like, you know, when we were first coming up, there was an indie scene, there was a new metal scene, there was a punk scene at Fireside. You know, the indie scene was at Lounge X and Empty Bottle and, you know, and, and so on and so on. Um, and I, I, everyone kind of supported each other, but there was a lot of competition. Um, but I think now there's the community and, and culture has definitely been lost a little bit. But that's just my. Yeah, I rant. agree. Uh, you know, it was. Um it was two years ago, and this is all new news to me, by the way, the demise of rock and roll music. I'm still fighting it. I don't know if I believe it 100%, but it was two years ago. I, um, I got a text message from Johnny Kay. I, I think probably anyone in music in this room probably knows who he is, and David Silva, who runs, literally, the guy that runs Summerfest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they reached out to me, 
and asked me if I wanted to join a Chicago rock music committee for the Grammys. And I'm like, why do we need to do this? Why do, you, why do we have to have a rock committee? And these guys saw it a couple of years ago. They're like, rock music, I mean, w when was the last time you've seen a rock band kill it on the Grammys? When have, the, when have the people eligible to vote have voted on a really great rock band? It hasn't happened in a long time. So David and Johnny Kay, they wanted to put together this coalition of people in the city of Chicago to start our own chapter uh, to help promote rock bands. And I'll never forget our first conference call. They were like, does anyone know a good rock band we can start promoting that we can all get behind and hopefully in the next three to five years we can get them on the Grammys and they can win a Grammy? And we're all like, well, yeah, I know like 10 or 20 and I know, I know, you know everyone like Heather West, she... Uh, uh, suggested a few. Um, Phil Kosh, who's here tonight, I think he suggested a few as well. Uh, uh, Damon from Black Box, he suggested a couple of others. We've been working our asses off for two years and still haven't been able to accomplish much. So now with Haima's seminar, or what we're here to talk about on the panel, I'm beginning to believe that there is a demise of rock music. And, a, and I haven't really experienced it personally until the last radio station I worked for, Q101, switch formats. Ever since that occurred, I've had more live entertainment clubs in the city of Chicago ask me if I could come to their club and help promote their rock artists that are performing at these various venues. It would boggle your mind. I mean, I'm not even going to name them. I'm telling you it's the truth. Because even the live venues that are supporting not only the local live Chicago artists, but national artists as well, there's definitely a decline in it. it Maybe it has something to do with Q101 going away, but I don't think that's the only cause. I think we're seeing a, a, a shift here in maybe the audience that are going to these types of bands. We were talking earlier, I was talking to someone in the audience earlier, people don't just go to rock bands. You're, you just don't have, you're not a fan of one type of music anymore. You're a fan of all different types of formats, and either rock music is seemingly getting lost in the mix, I don't understand how, I've got Slayer and Pantera on my iPod right here that I'm listening to, so I don't completely get it. It's not declining in my world, but it apparently seriously is. Well, Chris, you brought up something, and I don't want to cut anyone off, but you brought up something interesting about the Grammys and how when was the last time you saw a rock band kind of break through on the Grammys? And this last Grammys award that was televised, you know, back in February, Foo Fighters played, but they played with Dead Mouse, who is a hugely popular electronic artist. So it wasn't like they could just put Foo Fighters on by themselves. They had to put Dead Mouse on as part of that performance. It wasn't just enough to have, you know, one of the largest rock bands in America playing on that stage. You know, I really like Civil Wars. Civil Wars played that night, and they're not like the rock rock band, but they are a rock band. And I think the definition of rock is also what's changing. You know, like the hard rock format versus what's happening now is like indie is really huge right now. It's very you big, know? yeah. So it's just like a cycle. I was, I was at the Grammys and uh, they had Bruce Springsteen played, uh, Mick Jagger. I mean, I think in rock, there is a definite shift. There's not like new dope rock bands. All the same ones keep getting talked about all the time or the legends are more honored than the upstart bands. It's like, I don't know where to go to find the new rock groups that's not the Black Keys. There's a rock group right at the end of the bar right there, the Las Vegas. Those guys kick ass all the time and all over the world. Why can't they be on the Grammys? Yeah. I you know, I got I'm an interesting saying, question. I'm kind of bored of them. Or maybe like an observation, you know, with the Internet and with social media kind of ramping up the last, you know, five, six, seven years. You see a lot of young people are typically the ones who are creating scenes. And, you know, somebody like Chris Payne, who, you know, is definitely young at heart. Well, let's, you know, there's a little bit of gray hair there. <laughs> You're listening about? to things that are Slayer. At least I have hair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but, you know, somebody like, somebody our age will have somebody like Dead Mouse and Slayer and, and, you know, Hot Hot Heat and all kinds of different genres of music. So as we get older, we kind of lose the genre list. You know, like I grew up a punk rocker. I wouldn't consider myself a punk rocker because I love all kinds of music now. But with kids and social media being introduced now, are we taking away the ability to create a scene because they're not going out to as many shows, or are we giving them the ability to create 
more scenes, and I'd be interested to see how that plays out in the hip-hop community versus the rock scene, because I'm seeing from the rock community that people are still going out to shows, but they have an affinity, and they're very loyal to certain bands, but they're not taking as many chances on things. And I don't know if that's because of social media or not, because they're kind of filtering already before they even go out to shows. So well, I also think, like, I think I, it, was, it was a Polestar or Live Nation. They did, um, uh, like, whatever, a poll, and the average American goes to 1.6 concerts or something like that a year. So they're picking one show to go to for the whole year, which is usually a festival, so they can see all these bands. Because that's, that's the thing we were talking about. Like, no one's got allegiance to a sound or a band anymore. And I remember in high school, I liked Poison and Slayer, and I almost got my ass kicked for liking those two bands. You know? And... You know, and then there was like, you know, the kids that listen to The Cure, and you knew what they looked like and everything, you know, and there's, there's no subcultures really anymore. I mean, electronic music is definitely the subculture that's kind of coming up from the underground right now. But I think more kids are attracted, just like in the rave days in the 90s, they're attracted to the party, not necessarily the music. And I think, you know, the festivals offer a time to see all your favorite songs, but not all your favorite bands. You know, because everyone, if you, if you go up to a 16-year-old now, it's hard to find a kid that's got a favorite band. They have a favorite song, but they don't have a favorite band anymore. And I think the culture of rock and roll is kind of what's happening. And there's, there's many reasons for that. You know, um, one, the music industry was the first industry to get hit even before the economy collapsed because of technology. You know, so... And once the economy kind of started collapsing, the parents aren't going to pay $10 for a CD when they can get it for free. So the culture of going out to a record store and buying uh, a CD, the older brothers and sisters aren't doing it, so the younger brothers and sisters aren't doing it. And now that's happening with live music. The older brothers and sisters aren't going to concerts, so the younger brothers and sisters have no idea what a concert is, and they think watching on YouTube is just good enough, you know? And, uh, you know, that's, that's what needs to, the, the, the culture needs to be saved, not so much the scene, you know? Right. You're right, Greg. I got to tell you, um, one of the last interviews I did with Chevelle, one of the key questions that I had had enough forethought to ask these guys, and they answered it honestly, was that I think the band Chevelle today is probably, arguably, at the height of their success as a not only Chicago band anymore, but really a national worldwide band. Yet they are earning less money now. This is a fact. Chevelle is earning less money now as a band than they did five years ago. Why? The evil iTunes, the evil MP3s. People are buying singles now online as opposed to albums. I mean, I don't even think the last two Chevelle records went platinum. It was three records ago was the last platinum album that they had. And that is 100% because of the internet uh, record sharing and, and people having the ability to buy a single instead of an entire album. Or they, or they stream it. You know, there's, uh, there's streaming services now like Spotify where you just pay a flat rate per month and you can basically stream the North American commercially available music database. You know, it's like you pay five bucks a month and you can stream anything you would buy in iTunes. So you don't even have to buy anything anymore. You can just stream whatever you want. Yeah, that's you know? evil, and you tried to talk me into doing that. <laughs> it's just what's happening now. Uh, you know, some, you guys touched on a lot that I want to touch on during this panel, but something I wanted to ask all of you about, not just Chris, is, you know, Chris and I obviously worked at Q101 together for a number of years, and that station, of course, went away. It switched formats last summer. What impact do you think that had on the rock scene? Do you think it would have been on the decline anyway, or do you think that that was a sizable event? Because I feel like people could look at it either way. They could say that that was a huge blow to the local community, or they could say no one listens to radio anymore. It doesn't matter. Uh, just from an out, kind of an outsider perspective, I think Q101, just someone growing up in Chicago and listening to that from when I was in elementary school all the way through after college, it's a big loss, huge. Um, I think culturally, too, like Q101 played a big role. Uh, I would listen to the, like, Sunday night shows or even the local 101 just as more of, like, I don't really know many rock bands, but if Q101 is saying this one is good, it's at least a starting point for me to get into it. And it just felt like um, 
Q101 going down, it just was bad for Chicago radio beyond genre. It was just not a good thing. What does it say about the live music scene, not just rock, but live music culture in general, when the most exciting artist at Coachella this weekend, this past weekend, was Tupac Shakur as a hologram? The hologram. No I one, love it. No one talked about any of the artists that were pulling oxygen into their lungs. They didn't matter. Anyone who was still alive was doing it wrong. <laughs> the thing that people were most excited about was like something that, you know, R2-D2 would have shot out, you know. <laughs> I mean, how is that, how do you even compete if you're an artist who's alive if now you've got to worry about Kurt Cobain upstaging you again? Well, Maybe because they're used to watching it online <laughs> in 2D. I just wanted to talk real quick on what he's what he was saying, and even what we were just Chris. talking about. Chris, sorry, I didn't, I didn't, not that I didn't know your name. I just said, I just, my bad. No, but even that question, I think a reason why the hip hop community and culture is thriving in Chicago is because years ago they wrote off every radio station from Power 92 to WGCI to whatever as like none of the radio is going to support any of this so we don't have a Q101 or we don't have XYZ and now all the hip hop really it lives on the internet and then the internet informs the live shows oh the party is at XYZ bar tonight or people are recording at XYZ studio we're going to just show up there and make music and that's what's happened I, I think that that was a uh, biggest complaint was that Chicago hip hop radio sucks it never plays any local artists and was just written off what was a weakness became a strength because they went to the internet much, much earlier, and we're like, just fuck it, we're going to make our own thing. Yeah, I mean, Alex, do you see, because I have a viewpoint on this, I feel like, and you know, anyone can correct me if they disagree, I feel like the hip-hop artists in this city are used to hustling. They just take it as a given that they need to work harder to get their music out. They need to be on social media all the time, and I, they like to be on social media all the time. And they're doing things. They're putting out a video every week, a mixtape every season. You know, uh, they're collaborating with an artist every week. It seems like I don't know if I want to say that they're working harder, but they're definitely working smarter than I think a lot of the rock bands are, who maybe are just beginning to use Twitter or something. I mean, do you see that where that could be attributable to the increased presence of hip hop artists in this city doing really well? Which I'm all for. I'm glad if anyone's doing well. I've asked people, you know, where can I go to hear the new rock bands? You know, I know if I want to hear new hip-hop music, I can go to XYZ sites or people. They're going to email me. Chance the Rapper is going to email me his own stuff right away. I don't know if that happens on the rock side. I've asked people, like, man, is there a Ruby Hornet for indie rock in Chicago? Because I'd like to see it. But they've said no. Or, like... We have Ruby Hornet or Fake Shore Drive. I know between those two sites, I'm going to see every Chicago hip-hop artist worth seeing. Or they're going to come and like be like, I want to play your party. I'll do it for free. Whatever you need, I just want to, I want to do it. I want to be at that party. I want to be there. I don't know if that exists, exists for rock or if there is even like a, is there a, even nationally, we've talked about the national scene. Is there a Nah Right or Two Dope Boys of Rock Music? Sure. Because even like Pitchfork or... Uh, it's so niche. They, well, even Pitchfork is Our like niche. trying to come in and take the hip-hop scene away from us. They're like, oh, we're going to cover Kendrick they Lamar see, now. They see like, where things been, are going, man. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, it, it, they're going to like take, take the song. So who's really championing the local rock band i would like to know alex i think if anyone wants to hear like up-and-coming rock bands the best way to hear it is cruising around with me in my car <laughs> honestly you want to hear what's up and coming in the city of chicago come hang out with me for a day we'll drive around in my car i still get cd submissions all the time and there's some great shit out there i just wish i could play it on a radio station well you know i on my site on chicagoverseunited.com i write about local music every day a lot of that is rock but dude you're talking about all the hip-hop artists reaching out to you. It's the exact opposite. Every January, I do a feature where every single day of the month, I contact a different artist about doing a little mini-interview to preview what they have coming up for the year. The hip-hop artists get right on it. I mean, I see Show You Suck is here. That dude's always down to do an interview. The rock artists, 
I'll email them. I'll say, let's do like a three-question email interview so I can help promote you. 90% of them don't even get back to me. Well, I'm I, not even asking to like borrow money. I'm asking to promote them. And most of these bands can't be bothered to let people know what they're doing. Well, I think it's because like Show You Suck's a great example of an artist that we've known for a long time before he had music anywhere. And he was like... I really support your website. Will you support my music? If you put, and then we put it up, and then he tweets it to all his friends or tells everyone, man, I'm on Ruby Hornet and makes it a big deal. He hosts our parties. He hosted our South by Southwest showcase because he became really involved. And the hip-hop artists, I think, see our site or Fake Shore Drive as, like, their home team, and they're going to support it because they know, like, if Ruby Hornet died tomorrow they know that's like one less outlet they have for the music. So I think it goes back again to what Christian was saying. It is about the community. People need to care. The artists need to be just as uh, supportive of the media as the media of the artists. It has to mean something to be on these websites. They have to be like, I got a Ruby Hornet feature. That's dope. That's going to help me get X, Y, Z. I'm going to come to like this party where I know I'm going to meet RTC. We're we're organizing the events. We're saying, like, man, come and come and meet us. That's what, just I mean, from an outsider, I see missing in rock. And yeah. when, when you do an event, I mean, what's a big event? How many people? Uh, we do a monthly event at Beauty Bar every, um, and we get, I mean, it, whatever the capacity of Beauty Bar, and the whole point of it is to highlight artists that are buzzing strictly online. They've never been to Chicago. We had Action Bronson at Beauty Bar or Danny Brown, who are now artists that, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. Pitchfork yeah. is like, oh, we yeah. want... But they do our shows first for 250 people or 300 people, and we put, like, the national act, like, Action Bronson is buzzing on the Internet. We have a Chicago artist to match, and that Chicago artist will open, and that becomes... I mean, I mean, and that builds a scene. And it builds, yeah. it builds and, a scene. And I was, I, you know, I, I booked a club, uh, club night called Independent for about six months, and I tried to showcase a different Chicago band every, every week. And, um, you know, it was free. Um, we gave away, I think there was an open bar or whatever for an hour. And we had a lot of the big bands in the city play, and I don't think one band drew over 100 people. And that's with... You know, I had um, Stick of the Week, which is a fashion music blog here, um, part of the night. And, you know, I try to collaborate with as many people to get people out. And that's another thing. Like, it's the draw for a rock band is just not there. And I think, you know, maybe it's the, the bands aren't working hard enough. Um, I think, you know, back in 97, um, raves were huge. And we were a rock band trying to compete for a night at the Metro against a DJ night. And so we adopted the aesthetic of the rave culture and how they promoted, whether it's through chat forums or printing 10,000 flyers and giving them out to everybody, going to high schools and all this stuff. And I think the rock scene's definitely going to adopt stuff from the hip-hop scene and the rave scene and go different ways because just posting on Facebook... And, and creating an event on Facebook and hoping people come, those days are over. That, like, you know, that, that was strong about three years ago, but that's not enough now. It's you, flooded. You, know, you, yeah. have to, you have to hit multiple avenues of, you know, promotion and advertising. I, I think what the problem is is artists in this city, I don't know about other cities, but artists in this city are too dependent on Dynasty Podcasts, are too dependent on Ruby Hornet, they're too dependent on Local 101, they're too dependent on JBTV. What they are missing, in my opinion, is that they're all competing with each other when they should be cooperating with each other. Yes. This would be a scene and this would be a community if they promoted each other and they came together and rather than worrying about who's going to headline the fucking show that night and who's going to get paid the most that night, yeah. it's about coming together and figuring out how they can build a community together because they're the taste makers. Artists are the taste makers. If you have fans in your band and all of a sudden, you know, Greg Corner is telling me that I need to listen to the Lifeline because he really likes the Lifeline and I like Greg Corner and his band, I'm going to listen to the Lifeline. 
and I'm going to trust his opinion. And I think that, you know, media outlets like we've got are very important because we're doing things that radio aren't doing, and that's super important. But what I think needs to happen is the artists, and I hate to say it, I know there's a lot of you in the room, and most of you probably are not guilty of this, drop the bullshit. Stop being pretentious. Work with each other. Find ways not necessarily to reach out to the fans on Facebook and my not MySpace, Twitter and all that stuff. Work. MySpace. Yeah, I'm, I'm really old. Sorry. <laughs> Work with other bands to build a community because that's what you need. Man, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that was um, the main obstacle that hip hop has tackled and surpassed within the last calendar year. Even is the idea of like instead of dissing or fighting with each other to work together and the hip-hop genre i think just lends itself easier to collaboration but that's what is i'm saying that's what is happening and that's why like when you were talking about the live events people come to digital freshness just i mean literally just to meet show you suck and then the next week show you suck and xyz artists that he just met have a song together and it was recorded at xyz studio and these places that everyone knows and that happens time and time again within hip-hop now because we've been able to just say like why compete one if king louis gets a deal it's better for every hip-hop artist down the line if if this local dude is blowing up every local dude can uh thrive or get attention from that chris yeah, what is why are we so worried about rock scene we should see more rock artists collaborating with hip hop artists in this oh, city. Yeah. We should see, you know, artists like, you know, Hey Champ playing with other, you know, hip hop artists or the Lifeline or, you know, uh, State Madison or Super Happy. I mean, these it's a scene. It's a music scene. It's not just a rock scene. I mean, it's that's high school bullshit. Like this is a music scene, you know. Chris, so. what is it you always say about rising tides? High tides. High tides make all ships rise, and it's true. And I mean, it's look. I, I imagine everyone in this room is a lover of music. We probably listen to hip hop. We probably listen to rock. We probably listen to, um, you know, some of the DJ mixes. I mean, you know, I mean, look at all the artists I had on Local 101. I mean, I didn't care whether you were a metal band or a singer songwriter. But I didn't think that my audience flipped in the 60 minutes that we were on the air. I figured that whoever's listening to the show, and we cumed about a quarter of a million people every 15 minutes. Yeah, I didn't think that they turned it off because it wasn't the type of genre of music that they were into. I think they listened to the whole thing. It was a community. Yeah, you know, but I, I do believe that. All, all high tides, all ships rise. Yeah, yeah you've, you've always said that. Absolutely. And something, a good example of talking about the community Again, using Show You Suck here as an example, uh, you know, the rapper who is attending, who is singling out. Correct me if I'm getting this wrong. BBU, who's another fantastic Chicago hip-hop group, got a write-up on MTV, like on one of the MTV websites. They mentioned Show You Suck, and I think like a week or two later, right, you got posted, yeah, on MTV from their plug. And you got to think, when is the last time a rock band... A, got featured on MTV, a Chicago rock band, got featured on an MTV website, and then shouted out another rock band to try to help them out as well. But that happens regularly now with hip-hop, and even if you look at BBU, I personally mixed and then released their first mixtape just on the website. So, I like, hip-hop's made that, that road. But, yeah, like, where does the rock... Yeah, I mean, like, it's just being in the scene and, and playing in rock bands in Chicago for so long, it's always been so competitive. And I always thought there was, like, a militia against Kill Hannah because I would, I would go put up posters and flyers, and I'd go to the, the, the place the next day, and they'd all be gone, like, torn down. And, um, you know, that could have happened. You know, there's, it was, like, a lot, of, a lot of jealousy and a lot of... Um, you know, kind of hatred because it's so hard to break out of Chicago that everyone's fighting for the attention and they don't want to give it to anybody else, you know. And that's what I've experienced on the, on the rock scene, you know, side of things. And, you know, I mean, we were a band drawing a 1,000 people a night at Metro and without a record deal or even being on the radio and labels didn't give a shit or even wanted to fly out. If that happened now... It'd be like we did like it would be every label would be coming out trying to sign us you know so i think you know the the times have definitely changed and you gotta definitely work harder and collaborate more and be more of a community you know
I'd like to challenge the audience right now, actually. This is a really great opportunity to form some sort of a Chicago music collective. You got The Prowl, you got State Madison, some hip-hop artists here. Why don't you guys pull your money together and print your posters together and start a scene together and find a way to get artists together? This is a good opportunity to do that. Go from here, spread the word, find a way to work with each other, and forget about everybody else. You guys will create the scene. You don't need any of us to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll help you. But yeah. you guys really should leave here and do that. And I, I challenge you to do that. I also think don't wait on a venue to give you a gig, even though a lot of them will. Like, you know, the dance music scene got so big and, and the rave scene got so big because it was renegade venues. There was, it, was, it was something exciting about going to someplace you'd never been before. And it was a party. And that's kind of like what started everything and i think rock bands have to go back to the the punk rock ways of you know throwing i remember seeing green day at mcgregor's in um in oakbrook and then they'd go to parties afterwards and play parties in oakbrook afterwards you know so it's like there's all these weird venues where you know these bands would be playing and i think rock bands need to go back to that mentality of like you know doing it all yourself again and like throwing a show in a basement and inviting all your friends and making it more of a party rather than a show and come see my band. Make it an experience. You know? yeah. that's, that's the only yeah. thing. Yeah. You're making me think of the yeah. days of the Thirsty Whale. Does anybody oh, remember yeah. that place? Oh, my God, man. But you're, I, mean, that, I threw up in that bathroom twice. I think I hooked up at a that, Kill Hannah show with Thirsty Whale. That's just the somebody. whole point. When you were saying, how do we get people at our party, we say, like, it's not a concert, it is a party. And you're going to have this artist here for $5. And next time Freddie Gibbs comes to Chicago, you'll never see him for $5 in a venue. That's not a con like at a regular neighborhood bar. We are doing these parties at Lava Lounge when we first started, which holds like 100 people. But you're, ex I mean, that's exactly right. It's like that's, and I, maybe even hip-hop is taken from, I think there's a lot of like rock aesthetics in the hip-hop that's going on right now and the way it functions even more so in the rock scene. You know, something I saw a lot in the promotion of this event even, on the event page itself, on Facebook and stuff, I saw a lot of artists weighing in on their take on rock stuff. And so many of them, not all of them, but so many of them, they blamed fans for how things were. They called the fans names. They cussed them out. They said that they were lazy and unappreciative. They blamed the venues. They called the venues out by name. They blamed promoters. None of them were saying, maybe we should have banded together. Maybe we should have been a little smarter with technology or created more of an experience or made things exciting or band together. They wanted to blame fans, promoters, venues, basically anyone but the artists themselves. You know, I mean, is that a destructive attitude you know, I mean, Greg, like, I think, would I you? I think blaming a venue is the last thing you do because I think any venue would love to have a band that draws, you know? Yeah, that's why they're open. Um, and you can't expect getting a show at, you know, Double Door or Lincoln Hall and not doing anything and just showing up and playing is good enough. Like, that's the last, you got to look at it as a business. Like, I remember when we were playing Metro all the time, there's all these other bands like, oh, how come you guys get to play Metro all the time? It's a business. We bring people there. They invite us back. It's just how it goes. We were playing there like once a month. And the same thing will happen if you treat it that way. When you view it from the other side and being on the owner, venue owner, or venue promoter side. And like when I book DJs for my DJ events, the DJs that draw the most, I'm the book again, you know? But a DJ that does no work and just shows up and plays, or a band for that matter, I'm not going to book again or have respect for, you know? That's how we booked the bands for Local 101. Yeah. You know, people would always ask how we chose, how Chris and I would do that, and Chris instilled the idea in me early on, and this was his um, kind of mindset that he set forth, was that we would help the bands that were helping themselves, the bands that were playing shows, the bands that were sending us music, that were putting up their flyers, and that weren't waiting around for us to play them. They were going to go out and go after it anyway. Those are the artists we played. That's why we were playing OK Go, because those posters were all over the city when they first came out. And I always thought that that was a great kind of mentality to, to approach in supporting artists is go after the ones who are already doing it. You don't want to be left behind, right? Uh, you know, let's look at the album experience for a second as well. And that's something that I want to kind of touch on briefly before uh, we've kind of, we're coming up on an hour already. Rock albums, and Greg, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like rock albums drop, especially for local artists, you know, if there's any local artists in here who release records or EPs or anything, they post 
and then I think that they're forgotten about sometimes later that day. You know, you put all this work into something, and then it gets forgotten, or it doesn't even get noticed. Whereas I look at mixtapes, I look at like the hip-hop method of releasing mixtapes, and that seems to have a lot more excitement, maybe a longer shelf life, and more energy around it. Like, why do you guys think that is? And it's not just a question for Alex, but why don't albums impact harder? Why do mixtapes have more staying life? I think most people who put out albums these days haven't even perfected the live show yet. Well, learn how, learn no how to play to a live show and excite people to want to come buy your record before you expect them to buy your record. And I think the compilation, the mixtape, is important because you are collaborating. Because, you know, people aren't buying records these days, but they'll be willing to go after one song from their favorite artist and then get turned on to other artists that they like, which is how I grew up you know, buying comps, you know, punk rock comps on vinyl, and then all of a sudden you got three other favorite bands that you're not listening to. I yeah, think it's I think, a great concept. I think the, I, I've been a big supporter of the EP in the last, like, five years, where it's, I think, you know, from a record label perspective, they like the album because to promote a single or an album, it's the same amount of money. So you want to get the most money as you can from your product. So that's why they push albums. But I think the EP is kind of like a good in-between where you can be away for, you know, a lot less time. You can be in the studio a lot less time. And you can get your product out faster and have a continuous cycle. And, like, releasing a single or a maxi single with, like, three songs. I mean, Gautier did it. Foster the People did it. It's like they all come out with the EP first and then the full, full length comes out later. And I think that's just a a better way to, I mean, the attention span, like you said, is just so short. The, the full album, no one listens to a full album anymore. I mean, I am, you know, I come from the album generation, and I don't even listen to a full album anymore. So there's no way a 16-year-old kid is going to make oh, it yeah. through an album, let alone maybe not even one song, you know? Yeah. So. I, I agree. I mean, I, I love albums. I if given the choice, I would buy everything hard copy. I love having the album artwork, but I think why they thrive in, in the hip-hop scene, again, goes back to just embracing that attitude of, like, fuck uh, doorkeepers or whatever. We're going to do whatever we want. So these artists put all this into their mixtape, and that's 100% them. And then if they get signed to a label and have to put out an album, that's going to alter their sound, and they have to, like, appease radio. But the mixtapes are viewed as, like, this is 100% me to the fans. And that's why I think it's so much embraced and why these artists are getting signed off a mixtape or kids... People want Wiz Khalifa's mixtape more than his album because that's... 100% raw Wiz Khalifa. The album that came out on Atlantic is a pop record that Wiz Khalifa's real fans don't care about, but a larger audience want, like, whatever, they'll like that kind, they'll be able to digest it. The mixtapes are like raw, me, the fan, and then the artist. ChicagoMixtape.com. Every week they put out a compilation of Chicago artists for free. Thanks for, thanks for plugging those guys, by the way. I listen to great, it also. Great website, great company, great guys. We're kind of coming up on the hour here, and I want to close out with, I think, an important question, because we've talked about kind of what's, what's wrong, what people are doing wrong, what isn't happening. What are some solutions that artists can pursue or even industry can pursue? What needs to happen to maybe strengthen, rehabilitate the Chicago rock scene? This. This, yeah. There should be more bands here. I invited a lot of bands, and I saw a lot of them, like, declining. And I'm like, we're just talking about how to help you. Again, not trying to borrow money. Why don't you come out? I'm, I'm just curious, because there's, like, six blogs that say they are the Chicago hip-hop blog. Is there any one that is the Chicago rock blog? And that would be a great place to... You know, to I try to do that with Chicago vs. United, but even, even that, it's like I bring in hip-hop features, not nearly as many as like a Ruby Horn at a Fake Shore Drive. I do some DJ content. It's like, it'd be hard to solely write about rock because most of those artists don't even have their music up on SoundCloud or Bandcamp or YouTube. So if I'm writing about it, I don't even have anything to post, you know? And I, that's something that artists need to do is to put their music online in embeddable players where people can actually write about it, feature it, post it on their Facebook. All I mean, those things. I, th I think another good point you made with, um, you know, having your national acts come through, and I don't know, from me trying to book 
my friends that now have a booking agent is next to impossible for getting the bro price, you know? Yeah. And I think, I don't know if that happens in the hip-hop community where they just say, fuck you, we're going to play this party because this is who started us. Right. You know? No, and yeah, I, that's, and that's I, I think, like, you know, bands like myself and, and other bands that are bigger, just to play an event to support the scene and bring up other artists is important, too. Well, we yeah. have a term, the, the player price, and that is what... Unfortunately, every artist has to give us right now, but they do have the attitude of like, oh shit, it's like we booked Mick Boogie, who's a very large DJ now, and he was like, well, this is my price, but I'll never charge you that. And that's what every artist says to us, like, well, this is my real price, but I would never do that for you because they, again, they view it as like, we support the, the, these blogs are just as much a part of the community yeah. as they the support artists. the support yeah. they support they support the support so they're like you took a chance on us when we were nothing and if this is going to help your party we'll come in and play it just for a hotel room and a flight and that's how they operate and i think that's what makes it makes it thrive watch jbtv go to <laughs> dynasty podcast I, on that topic you know just check these guys out because they know what they're doing and you know you guys should figure out that too. The only thing I have to say is everything that you want to accomplish starts with you. If you don't take that first step, if you don't have a vision for what you want to do, you'll never get there. Guaranteed. Hands down. If you don't envision what, where you want to go, you're going to go off in the wrong direction. If you want to build a community, you have to do that. And you have to find other people that want to do it and do it. Don't just talk about it. You're here. Go from here. Plant seeds somewhere else and go do it. And there's the future is no, uh, in your hands. That's it. Yeah, there's you know, no, it's the only answer I have. There's and no it, rules anymore. There's no right or wrong way. Well, you I, know? Was a, I was about to say, it's now a moving target. The model that I used when I took over Q101's Local 101 some 13 years ago doesn't work anymore, I don't believe. I honestly don't believe our model works anymore. And Haima was right. Our philosophy going into it was that we'll support bands that are working for themselves, bands that are out there hustling, they're flyering, they're getting their own gigs, and it's like if you're going to be played on a commercial radio station, you've got to at least paid some dues before we're even going to listen to your shit. But, you know, it doesn't work anymore because when bands are promoting themselves, you can have 20,000 followers on Twitter. I mean, okay, let's look in the room today. We probably have, what, 75 people here? I mean, probably about 200 people RSVP'd on Facebook that they are definitely coming now, I'm sure a lot of those people are probably listening on this streaming uh, on the webcast. In fact, I don't know if we can get that number now, but I bet there's probably four times as many people that are actually here live that are listening to it online. I would, too. If I could listen to myself while sitting on my couch, in fact, I did quite often when I was hosting Local 101, I would do that as well. <laughs> the, bands that I've, the bands that I've interviewed are laughing because they know we'd pre-tape the interviews and I'd be on my couch listening to my show on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock. It's a true story. But the model doesn't work anymore. It's like, how many invites do you get every day on your Facebook page, invitations? I mean, I don't think I'm an exception by saying I get like anywhere from 30 to 50 a day. Do you read them all? No. Do you delete some of them? Well, I would if I could. You can't delete those invitations on Facebook, unfortunately, I would. But um, same thing with Twitter. It's like, how, how many people do you subscribe to in your Twitter account? A hundred? 200, 500, what's the chance if you're in a band that your core audience is going to happen to catch the one, five, or ten tweets that you happen to post at one o'clock in the morning when you're drunk on Jameson? <laughs> Everyone is so inundated with all of this media and come see me and come to this panel and go listen to this band and go to that. We're, we're all, or at least I am, I shouldn't speak for you, but if you agree with me, you can clap if you want to, but we're all numb to it now, at least I am. All right, you're, you're exactly right. And so I, it's I, like that model doesn't work anymore. There's no. got to be a new way, and the hip-hop guys, Alex and his website and blog, they're doing it. But, it, it, no, it goes back to what you said, the ver your very first comment. It's about having that community so that you do know, like, an invite from this person or this site or whatever means something to the culture of the music. And that's where it really is. It's like it needs to be that community level. And also think about your imagery. Like when you're putting together a flyer, don't just put your band name on it. Like 
have like that's what I like our flyers for Kill Hannah were like making an album cover every time and saying something about the band and I'm sure the hip hop community has a ton of culture behind it and you know what you're going to get when you see the event page you know and I think rock bands have to think more visually too about their culture and what their band stands for and what they sound like to you know give a better um, idea to somebody that's never heard the music before what they're getting into how about you just go out instead of sending a tweet or Facebook you just come to a place like this and you shake somebody's hand and you tell them in person you should really like my band because your friend likes my band and you should actually go and touch people and meet them <laughs> because that's the community so well, it that's works. true. I can tell you, as a ra when I was hosting a radio show, I was more likely to play a band's music if I met the guys face to face. And like that's what like Kill Hannah was out at every show that like we went to. I remember Smashing Pumpkins had a record release at Tower Records, and we gave a flyer and a CD to almost every single person in line, which was like 500 people waiting in line at midnight to meet the Smashing Pumpkins. We did the same thing at the Cure concerts. And you target other bands that you like and want to open for. You go to those shows and you put out the flyers or give them CDs. And don't just give like a URL because they're not going to go to it. You've got to give them something that they're going to like take away with it, whether it's a flyer or a CD or whatnot. Like, just giving, like, a, a URL, people are not going to go to it, you know? Chris, how did you hear about the Frantic? Was it because I handed out 5,000 free CDs and snuck into Q101 and put one in your mail slot, and Jaime, you probably got one, too, and I'm sure a lot of people here actually got one, because we actually went out and the band talked to people, and we gave away 5,000 CDs for free. That's what you got to do. And, we, and even as a band, as Kill Hannah, we still pass out flyers. We still meet every single fan after our shows. You know, we still come out and talk to everybody, you know? So you can't give that up once you even get a record deal or whatnot. Like, yeah, I the mean, people that, make you, you That know? just goes back. I mean, that's like a whole different discussion of artists treating their music career as a job rather than a Hollywood, like, I'm, a, yeah, yeah, I'm in yeah. a rock band, you know? Yeah, yeah. The mystery. <laughs> that's, um, that's over. <laughs> Gentlemen, all of you have been awesome on this panel. I greatly, greatly, genuinely appreciate all of you taking time out of your night to come out here, share what you know, and, and really like speak to everybody. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Thanks, Hannah. Hannah. Appreciate it. Um, Christian, Chris, Alex, Greg, thank you guys. And thank you to Rocket Bar and Grill for hosting us tonight. This is the second month they've had Dynasty Podcast here. I think we've got more months ahead of us, and this is so cool that they are having us here. So let's give it up for them as well. Next round of alcohol and Tim Tooney. Yes. Um, my name is Haima Black. I host Dynasty Podcasts every week at ChicagoVerseUnited.com. I also write about Chicago music every day at ChicagoVerseUnited.com. Help me help you help me help you. We'll do this once a month here at Rock. We've got all sorts of cool events in the works. And you can find this as a podcast and um, all sorts of additional content next month at ChicagoVerseUnited.com. Haima Black for Dynasty Podcast. Thank you guys all so much for coming out. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Simon. This has been the Dynasty Podcast Rocket Live Panelcast Series. Thanks to Chris Payne, Greg Corner, Christian Picciolini, and Alex Fruchter for sitting in on this panel. Rocket Live is hosted at Rocket Bar and Grill in downtown Chicago with special thanks to Billy Deck and Tim Toomey. Rocket Live is engineered by Layla I. Royale. You can find past Dynasty Podcasts at ChicagoVerseUnited.com and can follow Dynasty Podcasts through all social and digital media channels at DynastyPodcast.tumblr.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.